Hey guys, I am so excited to be able to be with you today here at First Baptist Simpsonville. It's an honor to bring God's Word with you. I've been a friend of Wayne's for a number of years, and I'm just thankful that he gave me the opportunity to preach. He listened to first service and let me stay, so I guess I did okay. It's good to uh, be with you guys. One of our little friends down here, she want to know where Pastor Wayne was, so I'm, I know it's a disappointment, but uh, I'm honored to be here. We're going to continue the series, actually, that you guys have been in. You've been talking about the crown, especially about the life of David, the great king. And here's the beautiful thing. You've been reminded over and over that the crown that David wore was in fact not his crown. It was God's crown. That he was entrusted with it, that he was responsible with it, but it wasn't his. And I thought about, you know, the fact is, those of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, we live a similar life in that we have a name as child of God that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, that we don't even always live up to. But we have that name. We are called children of God. John says it in chapter 1. John says it in chapter 3. John says it in 1 John. He reminds us that we are children of God. How awesome is that? But yet at the same time, like David, we have a reality. But sometimes our everyday life doesn't line up with that reality. Here's what I mean. David had this high, holy calling to be king. But yet David was human. David had amazing faith in some moments, but yet drastic failures in other moments. And I don't know about you, but that's the same thing that's true for me. That I live in this tension, I live in this in-between space between God's call in my life, the salvation he's given me, the way that he saved me and changed me and redeemed me, and the fact that he has a purpose in my life now and a promise of a home in heaven, and yet at the same time my humanity gets in the way. And so today we're going to talk about 2 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to look at some consequences of an unconcerned king. A time in David's life where there were consequences that came because of his apathy. Consequences that came because he was kind of off his game a little bit. Consequences that came because he was distracted. Consequences that came because his humanity got the best of him. Now now here's what we've got to know. Neglect is a slow fade, right? It's not something that just happens immediately. It's it's something that happens over time. And in 2 Samuel 15, that's what we're going to see, is that there were some fades that happened. There was some apathy that happened. There was some unconcern that happened. There was some checking out that happened in David's life. And it didn't happen all at once. It happened over time. But then there were consequences that were like, oh my goodness, unbelievable, awkward. And sometimes in our life, the same thing is true. Now, Now think about this for a minute. Let me give you some examples of how neglect is slow. If you get a new car, even if it's just a car that's new to you, you go to Walmart, you don't take a close spot. I mean, you, you like give up the good spot and park out some so nobody dings your car, right? You, you have the no eating in the car rule for a little while. And then eventually you could feed your family off the leftover french fries and the floorboard, right? Or maybe cell phone, right? You get a cell phone and man, you get it and, and you're like, I can't believe it costs this much, but man, this thing is so cool. And so what do you do? You get a case. It's drop-proof. It's waterproof. It's dust-proof. It's bomb-proof. Man, this case is awesome to protect this awesome phone. But then over time, you put that phone in your purse or in your pocket, and you're like, man, it's making it bulky, this big case. I mean, so you take the case off. And then you start tossing the phone around, and you forgot it was like a $1,000 phone. So you sure wouldn't take a 1000 bucks and be throwing it around, but that's what you do. Have you seen my phone? I don't know where I laid that thing down. I... The neglect. Maybe in a relationship. 
Maybe finally have the courage to ask someone out. You, you go out on a date with them and you're listening and you're, you're tuned in. Or maybe you're newly married or, or maybe you've got a friend that you've kind of connected with. You're doing, and you're listening. You want to know their story. You want to know what they're into. You, you, you want to know what they get excited about. But then over time you want to say, okay, that's enough. Right, I, I got it. Yeah, okay. Okay, what, you, you can stop talking now. I, I know all that, okay, already? You've already told me that like 15,000 times. I know about you already. Neglect. And you know, the same thing can happen in our relationship with God. When God reveals himself to us, and God reveals his will to us, that there's something awesome in that moment. We're like, man, all of a sudden it makes sense. I understand that Jesus down on the cross was buried and rose again. I understand that God's forgiven my sin. I understand I'm not alone in this world. I understand I don't have to figure something out to, to impress God, you know. But then somewhere along the way, we become comfortable and complacent kind of becomes boring to us, the whole worship and Bible and praying and sharing our faith and, and giving and serving, and we kind of start having this slow kind of fade. Well, that's exactly what happened in David's life. When we get to 2 Samuel 15, David had worn the crown for about 30 years. D David had been in this place of leadership. He, he'd had this spiritual responsibility, this military responsibility, the moral responsibility. He had seen victories. He had seen failures. He had had moments where he was like blown away by God's grace and God's goodness. And he had moments where God showed up and did things that, that he never could have imagined. But now there's this slow fade that had been happening. And we get to chapter 15 and the slow fade all of a sudden comes to a consequence that's undeniable. A moment he can't step out of. A moment he can't turn his head away from. A moment he cannot ignore as much as he wants to ignore it. And it's to do with one of his sons, Absalom. There's some of us this morning, you know what, it may be that you're here and you've been coming and you've been listening maybe online and, and man, God's been speaking in your life and, and, and maybe there was a, a draw to Jesus. There was a draw to the gospel. There was a sense of, man, I need, I need Christ in my life. But now you're kind of like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm kind of, there's been a slow fade. And I want to say today, you need to let God refresh that. And today may be the day that you call on the name of Jesus and you have your life changed radically right here, right now in this moment for every moment behind you and every moment in front of you. There's some of you here, you know Christ as Lord and Savior. You've been saved, you've been baptized. Man, you were on fire, but somewhere that fire has kind of gone down. You used to invite other people. You've quit inviting, like, well, COVID. I mean, what am I going to do? I don't know if they're going to come or not. I, you know, they asked me if we were masked, and I say, no, not many people. Uh, but, but you need to be inviting. There's been a slow fade in your worship. There's been a, a slow fade in your witness. There's been a slow fade in, in your prayer life. And today, God wants to renew that in your life. And we're going to see in the life of David that even when there are consequences because of our unconcern, even when our fade ends up in an interruption, a disruption that's awkwardly uncomfortable, God is still there. And he wants to do something fresh and new in every one of our lives. So we're going to jump in here to 2 Samuel chapter number 15. Let me give you a little backstory here so you understand exactly what's going on. David had come to this place in his life where David, like I said, had been 30 years in, in, in power, 30 years as king now, 30 years he had the crown. But yet even though God had given him the crown, and even though David was a man who worshipped God, a man after God's own heart, there were flaws, there were weaknesses, there was a humanity in David, even though there was a high holy calling, there was a humanity. And David's slow fade ended up affecting not just himself and not even just his kingdom, but his kids. Now, now, this is the part of Scripture where, you know, if we were editing it, we would probably edit it out. If we were putting a filter on, this is definitely not Instagram worthy, definitely not Facebook stuff you'd put out there. Because here's the deal. David's family was a messed up family. Pastor Wayne and I were talking and texting this week some, just in the last couple of weeks looking at this passage. And the other day he sent me a text. He said, man, the more I read this, I can't help but think of Jerry Springer even before Jerry Springer. 
Now, some of you know who Jerry Springer is. That's your pastor, by the way, not me. I don't watch that stuff, but he does. But just saying. In other words, it's the stuff that you go, you know, why would God put this stuff in there? Because here's the deal. Absalom, who we're going to read about in a moment, is the son who killed his brother. And the reason Absalom killed his brother Amnon is because Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Yeah, David's kids. Now, as a parent, if that doesn't make you go, oh, boy, you got to know, listen, sometimes our kids do things that are so dishonoring to God, even though we've been honoring to God. Sometimes we think, I don't know what to do. Where did I fail? Where did I go wrong? And sometimes it is our failure. In David's case, it was his neglect. It was his unconcern for their sin, even though he loved them, that at times he didn't discipline them. He struggled as a father in these ways. And so what happens is this dysfunction shows up, and it doesn't end when Absalom kills his brother after he waits two years, by the way, for his father to do something, and David never took action. So Absalom takes it upon himself, and you would think, okay, well, that, okay, that's over. That's good. It doesn't end there. We come to chapter 15, and the chapter opens with Absalom sitting at the gate of Jerusalem. (laughs) And he's listening to people complain about his father, and he's saying, yeah, you're right. He's not listening to you. You're right. He's not doing a very good job as king. If I were the king, just saying, if I were the king, I could do a much better job. And as we look at this story unfold, we see the consequences that are David's consequences because of his unconcern. And in my life and in your life, we sometimes have similar consequences. The first thing I want to talk about in the first 12 verses, and here's your homework. I don't have time to read all these verses or or, or we'll be way over time. So I'm going to hit highlights, but you want to go home this afternoon and read 2 Samuel 15. The first 12 verses give us this picture. It shows us how frustration fuels rebellion. Because Absalom didn't just all of a sudden randomly show up at the gate going, yeah, my dad doesn't know what he's doing, man, I'd be a better king. Here's the deal. At the end of chapter 14, we see that Absalom finally goes before his dad, kneels before him, and David kisses him. You say, well, what's the big deal there? Well, the big deal is that for three years, Absalom was in exile after he killed his brother. He wasn't in Jerusalem. He didn't see his friends. He didn't see his family. He was in exile. And then he comes back to Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us that for two years that he's in Jerusalem, he doesn't see his father. So finally, at the end of chapter 14, Absalom comes to see his father. And you can only imagine that David's not sure how this is going to go. Absalom's not sure how it's going to go. And so he comes in, and Absalom kneels before the king David. David kisses him, and you would think, okay, everything's good. Whoa, man, what a messed up thing. Maybe they can work things out. You know, bless their heart, pray for them. But, but listen, that's not what happens. Absalom's frustration continues even greater. As we think about this frustration that fuels rebellion, in chapter 13, verse number 32, we're told it was not an accident that his brother was killed. The scripture says, for by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he violated his sister Tamar. So Absalom, from the day this this horrendous thing happened between Tamar and her her half-brother, Absalom said, you know what? I'm taking that guy out. And he waited for his father for two years to do something, and he didn't. So finally, he tricked his brother into coming to the sheep shearing, and he has his brother killed. His frustration was so great. Two years he waits, three years in exile, two more years back. So so get this. This is not some little thing where he got mad and then got over it. You with me? This dude is charged up and fired up. His frustration has just been getting stronger. He's madder and madder and madder at his father and at God. There's some of us in this room, there's something that frustrates us. There's an injustice. There's something that's just wrong. 
There's something that's just heinous, and, and, and we are eaten up by it. And we're like, man, something's got to give. Something's got to happen. And if we're not careful, we end up in the rebellion that Absalom is in when we somehow think that God's not doing what he ought to do. Absalom thought, listen, my, my, son, my, my father, the king, he's not doing anything. He's not doing something about it. And certainly he probably thought God's not doing something about it, so I will. There's some of us in this room, we're on the edge right now of a place we don't need to be, of an action we don't need to take of something that we don't need to say because we're so frustrated. But here's the thing. When we're frustrated, guess what we notice? We notice the frustration of people around us. When we're fired up and we're like, man, I can't I tell you one thing. I'm not putting up with this. I tell you what, I'm gonna, all of a sudden we notice the people around us who feel that same way. Chapter 15, 2 Samuel, Absalom's at the gate. You know what he notices? He notices all these people coming and complaining about the king. He notices they have the same feeling toward his father, the king, that he has. Saying, man, David's not doing anything. He's not listening. We have all this stuff going on. Listen to verse number 3 of chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15, 3. Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. So here's Absalom. He's like, you know what? You're right. The king's not listening. I'm listening. I mean, I'm his son, but he doesn't even like me. and I don't like him. But, but I'm, if I were the king... I would do justice. I would do the right thing. No one, so he fuels the frustration of others. They're fueling his frustration because remember, he's mad at his father, the king, David, for not doing something. And so all this is like a perfect storm, this frustration that's fueling rebellion. So ultimately what happens is Absalom's ambition is, I'll just become the king. If my father's that much of a loser, man, if he ain't going to deal with stuff, I will do it myself. Verse number 10, Absalom sent secret messengers through all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Israel. This This is messed up. This frustration is fueling not only a rebellion as a son who's rebellious against his father, but do you see this? It's a national rebellion. It's a real deal. There's like an overthrow of the government about to happen because Absalom is so frustrated and he fuels his frustration with the frustration of others and they fuel their frustration with his frustration. And man, this whole thing's about to explode. It's about to erupt. This frustration that's fueling this rebellion. And can I tell you that in my life and in your life, if we're not careful, we find ourselves in that same place. We all have things that just bother us. Things that just get under our skin. There are people in situations where we want to see justice done. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's big. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's the person tailgating you, and they're like right on your tail on the interstate, and they finally go around you, and they're like flying around, like, all right, whatever, speed racer. And then you see them pulled over, and you go, uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. Or the one who's cheating at school, and everyone knows they're cheating. You're like, how can the teacher not see this? And finally they get busted, and you're like, mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about right there. There's something about that in us. There's something about it that when someone who has done wrong gets caught and there's a consequence for that, it brings satisfaction. But the opposite of that is when justice seems to fail, when they keep getting by with what's wrong and nothing seems to happen and nothing seems to change, man, that can frustrate us. And can I tell you, in case you didn't realize, we live in a culture and we live in a time when there are a whole lot of things we can get fired up about right now. 
I mean, I'm not even going to start listing them. You, you just fill in the blank. There are a whole lot of things, whether it's socially or politically or medically. There's things theologically. There, there's all kinds of things. There's things in our relationship. There, there's, all the, there's always these things in our life that can, we can just get so far and we can get so frustrated. And if we're not careful, that frustration begins to fuel this rebellion. And the rebellion is never only against the situation, the circumstance, or the person. If we're not careful, that frustration, that rebellion that's fueled becomes toward God. We begin to think, God, why do you let this happen? God, why don't you do something about this? Because if you don't, I am. Now think, about, think about how dangerous that statement is. God, if you don't, I am. Who are we to take the place of God? But that's exactly what happens here in these first 12 verses. There's this frustration. It's fueling a rebellion in Absalom's heart. But then the rebellion in Absalom's heart becomes a rebellion that turns the heart. The scripture says in chapter 15, 2 Samuel, that Absalom turned the heart of David's men against him, against David. Our frustration can be dangerous because not only is it our rebellion, but it's the rebellion of others that's fueled. So here's the thing. You would think that David, right? Remember David, that's who this whole this series is about. You would think David, Absalom's father, the one who was the boy shepherd who killed a bear and a lion. The one who was anointed king by Samuel, God's chosen man. The one who defeated Goliath when all the army and even King Saul stood in fear. You would think that David would be like, oh, no, 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 no. We ain't doing this. Go get Absalom. Tell him to come back in here. We're not doing this. You would think that David, 30 years he'd wore the crown. You would think that David would be like, okay, nope, hit pause. We're not doing this. I'm not stepping aside. I'm not. You tell him if he's got something to say to me, come say it to me. I've heard what he's doing at the gate. I've heard how he's turned the people away from me. I, I heard all. You would think that David would stand his ground and stand up to his son. But in fact, the opposite happens. Second principle, the first one is frustration fuels rebellion. The second one, verses 13 to 29, we see that courage fails in chaos. Courage fails in crisis. There's a crisis. There's a chaos. Do you see it? The crisis is not only a son who's angry and can't stand his father, but there's a crisis because now his son has turned the hearts of the people against his dad, the king. So now there's a national emergency. There's this crisis that's happening. How did this get to this place? Why, why is it that David doesn't have the courage? Why is it that David is tapping out when he should be stepping in? What happened here? Well, part of the answer is David's apathy that we see in verse number nine of 2 Samuel 15. And it's easy to miss. Notice what the scripture says. It says, the king said to him, so this is David saying to Absalom, right? Who's been away for three years, comes back two years, finally comes to see his father. And so then he comes and says, hey, you know what? Listen, I, I, and David knows he's been at the gate. He knows he's got chariots and, and 50 men to run in front of him. He's been saying all this stuff about him. So then Absalom comes and says, hey, I want to go worship at Hebron. He's not supposed to leave Jerusalem. So he has to ask his father's permission. And David, look at verse 9. David says to him, go in peace. So Absalom arose and went to Hebron. Say, so what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. All right, let's just use our common sense here. And I know common sense is not so common. I get that. But think about this. Your son who has murdered his brother... Your son, who's been sitting at the gates, turning the hearts of your people against you. Your son, who has got, man, he's just messed up. Bless his heart. He's messed up. You'd probably say he's like his mama, not like his dad. But anyway, he, he's messed up. And you say to him, go in peace? Really? I mean, you really think that's going to happen? Go in peace? 
And I'll be honest, I racked my brows like, Lord, I'm trying to understand. I mean, this one piece is just standing out in this, in this story, in this passage of Scripture. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And here's what I realized. David was tired of the fight. David was tired of the dysfunction in his family. David wanted to try to get that, that nice snapshot of the family that was Instagram worthy, put it on Facebook. You know, he wanted to get that right. He wanted to print, pretend like, okay, Absalom's back. I kissed him. I forgave him. I guess he's good with me. Now go in peace in this suite. Oh, we're just working things out. But the problem is David was trying to work things out. Absalom was trying to take his crown. Let that sink in for a moment. David's apathy. He just was tired of it. You, you ever feel like that? You ever just tired of, so, you're tired of the conversation, you're tired of the discussion, you're tired of the argument, you're tired of the back and forth, and you just go, yeah, okay, whatever. And here's what happened. David, listen to this, David, David gave up. David stepped out. David sat down. Listen, David was over the drama before the drama was over. <laughs> That's worth the price of admission. David was over the drama before the drama was over. He thought things were fine with Absalom, but he knew better. He wanted to believe that it's going to be okay. My son has come home. We're going to work things out. It's all good. He knew better. He says, go in peace. How many times in our life have we done that? Where we say, you know what? I'm just over it. I'm over the drama. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm over the drama. I'm not going to be involved. But even though we say we're over the drama, the drama keeps on going. And it only gets worse for David. David tried to step out when he should have stepped in. David tried to quit speaking and, and, and quit being engaged when he should have spoke more and stood up. David's apathy, how ridiculous, go in peace. It just shows his mind was not connected to his heart. He, he just wasn't thinking, but then David does something even more in this failure of his courage in the crisis. It's not just that he says, go in peace. But when David hears that his son has got all the hearts of these people against him, David doesn't say, okay, you know what? I shouldn't have said go in peace. My bad. I shouldn't have let Absalom at the gate. My bad. I, I shouldn't act like everything's okay. You know what? I got to get real here. You know, we don't need Dr. Phil. We just got to do what we're supposed to do. All right, here's what we got to do. We got to get Absalom. No, but instead, David runs from his problems. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 15, verses 13 and 14. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us stand our ground. No, that's, that's what he should have said. No, he says, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us and quickly bring us down to ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So here's the deal. Instead of David in this crisis having courage, he runs from his problem. Literally, he runs from his son. He runs from the very problem he should have confronted. Now, again, it's easy for us to get down on David and be like, yeah, man, come on, you're the king. You got the crown, man. You're, you are the man. But how many times in our life do we do the same thing? We run from our problems. Did David not think that God could help him in dealing with his son? Did David not think that somehow the God who helped him kill the lion and the bear and defeat Goliath, the God who anointed him as king, the God who had seen do miracles before, did he not think that that same God would stand with him, that it wasn't his throne and it wasn't his crown alone, it belonged to the Lord? Did he think that somehow God was unaware of what was going on and that God was unconcerned and God had given up? No, but he ran. I don't know about you, but I look back on my life, there's so many times I've run when I shouldn't have run. 
There are so many times where I was in the storm and instead of trusting God in the storm, I said, just get me out of the storm. I'm getting out of this boat. I'm getting out of this situation. I don't want to be part of this anymore. Sometimes it's because we're tired of the fight. That's why the scripture says in the New Testament, don't get weary in doing well for in due time you will reap a harvest. You'll be part of something awesome that what you do in the name of the Lord matters. But we get tired sometimes. Sometimes we get tired of people. Sometimes we get tired of the struggle. Sometimes we get tired of the, the argument. Sometimes we get tired of being alone. Sometimes we get tired of feeling like the outcast. Sometimes we get tired of being the one who, who always seems to be on the outs. David was running from his problem. I don't know this morning, there's some of us in this room, some listening to this message right now, you're running from your problem. Oh, but you don't understand. The, the, their hearts aren't with me. David could have said, hey, he's turned the hearts of the people against me. They're not with me anymore. How in the world? But David, you're the king. They're looking for courage. David, you're the king. They're looking for consistency. David, you're the king. They're looking for you to stand when everyone else is sitting and running. Courage fails in crisis. There was David's apathy in that failure. There was the running from the problem. But then something even more interesting happens. If we go down to verse number 23, he was ruining the perceptions of the people. This wasn't just a quiet family thing that happened. David left with hundreds, even thousands of people. He fled the city. Look what the scripture says in verse number 23 of 2 Samuel 15. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Check this out, church. It wasn't just a family problem any longer. It was a national problem. It wasn't just a problem between David and Everyone saw it. They saw the king fleeing from his son. They knew what Absalom was doing. And notice this text that we just read. It says the people wept out loud. And I thought, why were they weeping? Because they knew that David should be standing the ground. That Jerusalem, David was the king. And the king shouldn't be running. They were weeping out loud. It says they were, the, the perceptions were being ruined. This mighty king was fleeing for his life. This mighty king was afraid of his son. And church, can I tell you, there are sometimes I'm afraid that the community that we live in, the friends that we have that don't know Jesus, they see us as Christians. They see us as the church running when we ought to be standing. They see us ashamed when we ought to be bold. They see us in the shadows when we ought to step out in the light. We're ruining the perception because what happens is people begin to think, what kind of God do they serve? What kind of faith do they have that when things get hard, they give up and they get out? That's what David was doing. He was running from his problems. He was ruining the perception. Why? Because of this apathy in his life. His courage was failing in the midst of crisis. Where did the crisis come from? It came from the frustration in his own son that was fueling the rebellion, the frustration that Absalom had, the frustration the people had, and then the ambition that Absalom had to say, I will become the king. But as in always in Scripture, there is a turning point. There's a place where David finally recognizes that he can't fix this. That he, he, he should have seen it, he didn't see it. He should have stayed, he didn't stay. He should have confronted, he didn't confront. But then notice verses 29, 30 and 31. 2 Samuel 15, verse 30 says, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, and they were weeping as they went up. Verse 31, and it was told to David that Anthropal was one of the conspirators with Absalom. That was one of his trusted counsels. And David said, oh, Lord, please turn the counsel of this one into foolishness. This is what I call a brokenness that builds strength. 
We've seen the frustration that fueled the rebellion, the courage that failed in crisis, and now we see the brokenness that builds strength. See, the world thinks that brokenness brings weakness, but the Word of God says brokenness brings strength. It's when we're at the end of ourselves that God can start to do what only he can do. Wow. It's when we feel tapped out and done that God says, okay, are you done and tapped out? Let me do what I can do now. See, too many times we do what we do. We say, God, bless this. Sprinkle some blessing on. Here's what I'm going to do in my work. Here's what I'm going to do at school. Here's what I'm going to do with my friends. Here's what I'm going to do in my marriage. We, we want God to somehow, you know, just, just I'm going to do my thing. You just kind of bless what I do, okay, God? But God wants us to say, what do you want to do, Lord? And by the way, when David prayed out to the Lord, check this out. When David prayed to the Lord, do you think God said, oh my goodness, what, what are you talking about? I didn't know, what's Absalom doing? Hey, hey, did y'all hear this? I don't, what's going on? God knew. God knew Absalom's heart. God knew David's heart. God knows my heart. God knows your heart. There's never a time when God says, I didn't know or I didn't see that coming. When COVID hit and churches were trying to figure out what to do, I reminded pastor friends of mine, hey, I'm so thankful that when I say, man, I don't know, that God never says, I don't know, I'll get back to you, let me figure it out. God knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future. What an awesome reality that is, church. And here's what I want you to see. In this moment, there is a brokenness that builds strength. In this moment is the turning point where God begins the process of restoring David to the place that he should have been. And, and, and let me just notice, let me point out a couple of things to you. Notice, first of all, the king. The person, King David, it says that he was weeping, that he was barefoot, that his head was covered. That in this dark moment, he knew he had to humble himself before God. When's the last time that you look like that? Well, yeah, but you know, it's just between me and the Lord in my prayer closet. Yeah, but sometimes there needs to be a public repentance, a public brokenness. Sometimes to your spouse, you have to say, you know what? I've not been the husband. I've not been the wife. Sometimes to our kids, I've not been the father. I've not been the son. I've not been the daughter. We've not been the family we ought to be. Sometimes it's not just between us and God. Sometimes it's got to be obvious to people around us, the brokenness, so that we're relying on the strength of God and the grace of God and the hope of God to do in us what we cannot do. The person of David, the king, the guy that wore the crown, barefoot, weeping, his head covered. But then notice the text says where he was, the Mount of Olives. It's across the Kidron Valley where he could see the city of Jerusalem. And I can only imagine that David is looking at the city of Jerusalem, which is the very place he ought to be, but he's not there. And he realizes he can't get back to the place that he should be, the place that God has called him, the place that God has placed him. He cannot return to that place in his life without God doing a work in his life. There's some of us this morning, there's something in our life that's moved us out of the place, out of the relationship, out of the moment that God has for us, out of the purpose God has for us. And can I tell you something? You can try to get back there all you want, but you better come to a place like David did, a brokenness to say, I cannot return there. That's where I'm supposed to be. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. But I can't get there, God, without you. Do you see it? That David was trusting on God. He could see where he should be, but he could only return by God's grace in God's strength. There's some of us, you believe your marriage is dead. You're like, man, you, we're just kind of going through the motions. I don't even know why we're doing it. It may be dead, but my God resurrects. 
There are some of you, you have a relationship with your, 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 your parents, a relationship with your children, and you say, man, it's just broken. It's never going to be right. Well, look at this messed up family. But yet God can do something for his glory, and not only for your good, but for the good of those in your family, if you'll trust him. There's some of you who say, my career's over. You don't understand, man. I made a huge mistake. I, 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 I violated company policy, or I, or I treated someone the way I shouldn't, or I missed an opportunity, or I didn't do a good job on a project. I neglected the responsibility. God can restore. There's some here you're saying, you know, I'm waiting to hear from the doctor, and I'm pretty sure it's cancer, or I'm pretty sure it's this disease, and I don't know what I'm going to do. God can bring healing and restoration. In our brokenness, there is strength. David came to this most powerful place, like oftentimes we see in the life of David. David's most powerful moments were in moments of brokenness just like this. And the fourth thing that happened is that we see that God brings the rescue. He is rescued from rebellion. He's delivered from the rebellion of Absalom. The next several chapters talk about how David got his guys together and they got ready to go back to take Jerusalem. And David realized, you know what, we probably shouldn't have left in the first place. It's my fault. Absalom's my son. I didn't deal with my son the way I should have. I said, go in peace. I know y'all thought I was crazy. That was stupid. That was crazy. My bad. It's on me. So here's what we're going to get together with me and I'm going with you and we're going to take Jerusalem. He wanted to fix the problem he had created. But you know what? David couldn't go fix it by himself. David had to trust others to do the repair, to put down the rebellion, to bring back the rightful place where he could wear the crown in Jerusalem once again. Remember, David fled when Absalom led this uprising, and now he wants to be the courageous leader in charge, but he missed the moment. But there are others who want to go in his place. And so David literally has to stand by the gate and watch them by hundreds and by thousands go by to go and defeat his son and take back his kingdom. Talk about a humbling place. But it's exactly where David had to be. Listen to what the scripture says a few chapters over. And we're wrapping up here, 2 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse number 2. It says, And the king said to the men, I will myself also go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out. For if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, this, this is what I'll do. So the king stood by the gate, and all the army watched out by hundreds and by thousands. David could not go overcome the rebellion by himself. Did you know you and I cannot overcome the rebellion on our own? The rebellion of sin that we all have, sometimes it's frustration-driven. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes it's just this sense of loneliness We cannot overcome that on our own. We've got to be rescued from the rebellion. Our rebellion, not just the rebellion of someone. Listen, David was rescued from the rebellion of his son. His son's rebellion was over the fact that David missed a moment when he should have been the father. He should have been the godly leader when the brother raped the sister and he did nothing about it. We have sin in our life. You say, man, not like that. Trust me, we all do. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Our rebellion, our sin, our way, I don't need you, God, or if I do, I'll tell you what I need you for. I'll I'll treat you like a genie in the bottle. Do this for me, fix this for me. I'm praying a certain way. I'm coming to church. Hey, will you help me with this? And I'm just gonna do my thing, but if you'll bless it, that'd be great. There's some of us, we need to give our life to Jesus Christ for the first time. He needs to become king of our life. Not just our friend, not just our buddy, our king our Savior, our healer, our redeemer. 
The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now in this room, right now watching at home, you can pray a simple prayer and give your life to Christ, not because I say so, but because the Bible says so. That Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. You say, but I feel like I'm just sitting, shouldn't I do something? Shouldn't I have to go to church and give money and go on the mission field and help people and you know, take care of the homeless? See, that's the problem. David wanted to do stuff, but he had to just simply wait. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And by the way, our best days, our righteousness is filthy rags in front of a holy God. There's our rebellion, but you know what? There's our rescue. David was rescued. We've been rescued. Romans 3 verse 24 says, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. (laughs) So even if the rebellion is because of our frustration. Even if the rebellion is because we neglected to do something we should have done or we looked the other way, even if our rebellion brings about consequences we fully deserve, God's grace is greater. And I beg you today, if you've not given your life to Christ, give your heart to Jesus. Give your life to him. Make him the king with a capital K of your life. Bow your life to him. And today, if you're a believer, if you've just kind of become unconcerned, neglectful, careless with your faith, careless with your relationship with God. Let God bring about a freshness. Let God bring about that brokenness that brings back strength and focus and joy and power. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you that your word has not been filtered. It's not always Facebook and Instagram worthy, that it is uncomfortable, that it is brutal sometimes in the things we see. And it's not just so we can talk about them, but it's so that we can see us and see what you want to do in our life to bring about forgiveness and purpose and hope and healing. So Lord, as we worship now, I pray for those in this room, those hearing this message who need to give their life to you, that right now they'd pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, you died on the cross, you were buried, you rose again. Lord, you did what I could never do for me. You are the way, the truth, the life. I want to come to the Father by you. That right now in this room and those hearing this message right now would pray a simple prayer like that and give their life to Christ. I pray for believers who need to be obedient through baptism to put on the uniform of being a Jesus follower. Families who need to connect with this church. Singles, individuals who need to be part of this church family and what God's doing. But I pray that they would come. Lord, believers who just need to come to this altar to say, I've been neglectful. I've been unconcerned and there are beginning to be consequences of my unconcern. But Lord, I know that you can bring about change, that you can can bring about restoration, you can bring about healing, Lord, that you can restore what's been lost and broken. So Lord, I need you. Oh Lord, we need you. Meet us in this moment. And as we worship in a moment, I pray even as we stand, those who need to come to this altar would just come immediately. They wouldn't wait. They wouldn't worry about anybody else. They would not hesitate like David hesitated, but they would come to you, the lifter of our head, the healer of our soul. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.